Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional under the umbrella of Hardwater One. I'm Dr. Brianne Schoen-Brown and I am joined today by Dr. Ryan DeBell of Movement Fix. We dive deep into shoulder health today, talking why shoulder pain occurs, what we can do about it to become more resilient and decrease our risk of injury, and what to do if we do get injured. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing today? I'm great. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on your show. You are quite welcome. First off, you've been traveling. Welcome back stateside. Oh, thank you. It's nice to be back. I'm sure it is. Back in Seattle? For now. For a few more days. And then I go, I'm going to Oregon. Oh, nice. Good getaway. All right. So we wanted to talk about, we were talking a little bit off recording about shoulder health and why we see so many shoulder injuries or just shoulder pain issues. So we wanted to dive into that a little bit and get Mm -hmm. really um, kind of covered from all aspects on the whys, on the what do we do when it hurts, as well as how can we make these shoulders more resilient. So let's start in first. Why do people get shoulder pain? And let's just kind of, let's um, be very specific. Um, Let's talk about CrossFitters. Why they're just going through their normal workouts. They never necessarily have this, you know, necessarily a tweak or an injury. Why do these constant shoulder pain issues occur? Well, I think there's a, there's probably several different reasons, but the main ones that I, that come to mind for me are just the sheer volume of overhead lifting that most people are doing and they haven't done much accessory training for their shoulders to build up the strength and the capacity in their rotator cuff. I think also that style of training de-emphasizes eccentrics because if you do an eccentric slowly, your time in a workout is slower and it takes more energy. So you're actually incentivized to skip the eccentric phase. And so I think that there's certain parts of um, an overall training program that are missed. If your goal was to have like a pain-free strong body. I think if all you did was add in, well, if you regulated volume overhead a little bit more, because I think people don't even count. Like I don't think people count the number of reps per week they're doing overhead. And you could do all the rehab in the world, but if you're exceeding your shoulders tolerance to overhead lifting, because maybe someone's new and they haven't done a lot of it, that rehab and prehab stuff might not be effective. It could just be a sheer volume thing. So I think regulating volume, adding in accessory work where you're doing eccentrics or uh, tempo work, and then doing additional rotator cuff strength and capacity training. If you added those in, I think it would help the vast majority of people. But there could also be some neck issues that create what appears to be shoulder problems, but is just shoulder pain referred from the neck. And that's a pretty frequent thing when people are doing Olympic lifting and really pushing their head forward aggressively at the top of um, like a jerk. So that'll typically 
if someone has a tweak while they're doing that, they'll get a commonly they'll get a pain down like the edge of their shoulder blade as a referral pattern from their neck. So it seems like it's sort of a shoulder blade, shoulder thing, but a lot of times it's coming from the neck because of people like protracting their head or pushing their head forward. And also when people are doing a lot of squatting and front squatting, they catch and their neck goes into a lot of extension. I think we see a lot of shoulder-ish issues that are related to the neck. And so attention being paid to the neck in the position of it during those lifts, I think would also be really helpful. Uh, but those are the main things that, that come to mind. Yeah. And I, the neck is such an overlooked issue when you, you know, obviously as clinicians, we understand how everything's connected, but you know, the majority of the population doesn't. So it's such an, you know, people just like my biceps hurts or it just hurts on the front there. And that's what we need to be addressed. And they don't, even think about these other components that play into it. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of clinicians don't either. True. Like they'll see, for example, one, this like crappy bed I was sleeping in in Buenos Aires, <laughs> like my, my neck has never hurt so much in my life. I don't know what was wrong with that bed or how I slept or whatever, but I like my left peck has been sore for a month and I know it's not I actually like it feels like it's my shoulder, but I but when I move my neck, I you know I can feel the referral into my into the front of my chest, and so yeah, there'd probably be a lot of clinicians out there who would unfortunately not critically think and then just rub a muscle and not diagnose. I mean, I would love to say that nobody does that, but it but it happens, and I know that yeah, Yeah, you know what happens because people tell you that. Um, I mean, I don't think it's malicious. I just think. (laughs) People get busy and they're doing paperwork and they just, you know, and, and a lot of times it makes things feel better. But yeah, um, even though it seems like, oh man, I really feel this in my arm or in my shoulder. Like the thing I talked about with the Olympic lifting and feeling it along your shoulder blade, it really feels for those people like it is inside of their rib. Like it's like under their shoulder blade, almost they describe it as being like inside of their ribs and they can't even get to it no matter how hard they press. And it's probably because what you're trying to press on doesn't exist. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, And so, yeah, that happens pretty well. I mean, we always have a sort of a biased sample because if someone goes to you they're having a problem and then you hear about it right so like it happens pretty frequently and by that i mean it's a frequent thing that people will seek help for but the you know the actual percentage of people that that happens to is probably pretty small um but yeah number one to me volume number two is the eccentrics slash uh accessory training so we're talking volume What's your suggestion as far as someone, whether they're newer to CrossFit or maybe they were out of the box for a while because of some, you know, some other issue at being traveling, that sort of thing. They're gone for a couple months coming back. What's your suggestion or do you have a suggestion as far as volume goes? Because, um, you know, I'm, I'm one that I don't count my total reps. I just do, you know, because for me that's, an absurd amount of numbers. And if I can think of tens, then I'm great. So, you know, do you suggest like adding kind of adding up those numbers and kind of limiting the volume per week? 
Mm, yeah, it's interesting. So I don't necessarily think that people should be counting their own reps. When I said that, I meant the people programming workouts should be the ones counting reps. Like if I was programming for someone or if I was writing a program for a gym, like I would calculate the volume per week of each lift. And I don't think people do that enough. So I don't know that it's the responsibility of the individual. I think that's what they're paying for mm -hmm. when they go to a gym and there's programming provided. I think they're paying for someone to have thought about that. Um, but I don't think that I can recommend a number. And the reason would be is people get stronger and they have more endurance. Yeah. They can handle more volume because what we know from research of overhead athletes is that when specifically the infraspinatus gets fatigued, you lose the control of the shoulder joint um, a little bit and that can lead to stress on different structures in the shoulder that over time could be irritated if somebody has more capacity in their infraspinatus which is uh, if you're listening and you aren't familiar with the specific names of the muscles that is one of the rotator cuff muscles somebody could do more overhead lifting and their tissues are probably more adapted to handle it um, people throw out numbers like you should do this ratio of overhead lifting to pressing to pulling to whatever. Uh, I don't know where those come from. I don't know where those numbers come from. And I don't know if that's just people basing it on their experience, but I've never seen any research on that. I think that'd be probably really hard to research. Um, I think it's more based on feel. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you feel like your shoulders are being irritated and you're not sure why, look at your programming and see, are you doing multiple days of the week where you're doing snatching and pull-ups and push press and push jerk and handstands? Like maybe you should just dial back the amount of work you do with your arms overhead or cut it out completely. See if your shoulders feel better after a couple of weeks, which seems like an eternity to people, but it's actually not an eternity. <laughs> um, and then add in one day a week of it and then add in two days a week and start to take control of your own body. I think yeah. that uh, people need to take more responsibility for their own body. Like if things hurt, stand up for yourself and modify the workout. But the yeah. problem with that is if you don't know how, if your coaches don't know how to modify it, like that's a problem. But generally if your shoulders hurt overhead, just don't do overhead stuff for a couple of weeks and let it cool off. Yeah. I, people, just don't want to modify or don't want to speak up. Unfortunately, that's just, I'll just push through it because I want to do this workout. And unfortunately, it's just the situation that a lot of athletes get themselves in because they don't want to back down. Right. You, um, have, to, you have to reevaluate your goals. Is your goal yeah. to do the workout or is your goal to put on, you know, change your body composition or is your both goal overall longevity and strength of your body? Like, Think about your long-term goal, not just the workout today. That's very short-sighted. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've been around people training long enough now to see what happens when people make poor choices over years and years and years, and they start to get really up. And uh, I think you have to think about that, not just what's going to happen today or next week, but what about in 10 years? Yeah, exactly. And if that's the case, like, you have to take some control over your over your body and not just do workouts in the short term because you think it's something you have to do. Yeah, exactly. 
it's those things that I'm like, if I feel anything during workout, it's like, all right, I'm done. Like, not worth it. I'm not in the competition right now. Well, the hard part with that is people is knowing what's something you can push through that's okay and what's something that's not. Yes. And understanding the difference between metabolic pain and tissue irritation. Yes. Because you could push hard and it's like, ah, that doesn't feel good. But I would say this, listen to your instincts. I think our instincts are really strong when it comes to this. And, and the reason that peop, some people are better at it than others is maybe they grew up playing sports and they had enough injuries that they like developed, they're more intuitive with their instincts or they learned to trust it. But if you're doing a workout and it feels like, oh, I don't know about this, sometimes you can keep going and it's fine. But sometimes it doesn't go that way. And then you're like, oh, got it. That's what that means. Now I know that that means <laughs> that was something I shouldn't have pushed through. Uh, versus if it just feels really tiring or painful, like in the muscle, in terms of like it's a muscle burn, you know, you could push through that. But generally, I would say our bodies have a natural or we have a natural ability to know, like, is this a good pain or not? The problem that's arisen over the last few years is, is this mentality of just push through everything because then it's, you know, you're, you're going against your intuition. Like you shouldn't push through everything. Maybe you should on a race day or a competition if your goal is to win, but if that's not your goal, pushing through any discomfort is dumb because you could lead to an injury that then makes it harder to reach your goal. Like that's not a good decision. We have to make better choices and listen to our body and gain experience, not just mindlessly push through anything. Yeah, exactly. You also don't want to just stop at any sign of discomfort because you'll never get a chance. <laughs> right. Like it's going to be uncomfortable, but you just have to make sure it's uncomfortable in the right way. So there's certain things you have to push through if you want results. Yeah. But, but that's not a blanket statement. No. It's like I was talking to one of my athletes the other day and he's like, he was saying something and he's like, I just can't continue going. I was like, why? And he's like, well, I feel like I'm going to die. I'm like, well, you'll pass out before you die. So don't worry about that. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. the same thing. It's just like you're there's uncomfortable and there's like injury pain, and it's just finding that difference. Yeah, and it's a skill, and, and you just have to really pay attention to how your body feels, and yeah. you know reconnect with your body, and, and you just you only gain that through experience, uh, and and experience where you're paying attention. Yes, very true. Very true. So if someone has. They've, they're feeling their shoulder, they're in the injury as far as that goes, but specifically shoulders. They've stopped doing overhead work completely. Um, if the pain just doesn't go away on its own when they start working out again, what next? Like, what do you, what's the next step at that point? Well, like if they just dialed down on the volume? Let's say they completely stopped doing anything overhead. So maybe they were just... Uh -huh. You know, took a break from the gym completely or just did legs for a while, but yeah. completely stopped everything overhead. Got it. Um, and then they try to go back to overhead and then it's not, it doesn't feel good still. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Then I would take an angular approach, meaning instead of going, so if you stop going overhead, primarily what you're going to be doing then is everything in the horizontal plane. So pressing straight out in front of you or pulling straight towards you. And you can just think about if you put your arm, if you're standing and you put your arm straight out in front of you and that's, let's call that 90 degrees 
and then up overhead directly as or as close as you can get is 180 degrees then start doing exercises at 91 degrees and then 92 degrees and then you know 95 degrees 100 120 i mean you don't have to go degree by degree but you get my point mm-hmm. you don't have to go from 90 to 180 i mean that's just sort of a made up thing like if you if you think about it that's just sort of a like we think there's only two options and and we we think there's only two options just because people do bench press and overhead pressing but there's really you could go at every degree between 90 and 180 and not utilizing that is you know you're really not taking a progressive approach so you could do things for example like inclined bench press you know, I guess people shy away from inclined bench press, but if you think about it, that's a really great way to get back to overhead pressing or a kneeling landmine press or a standing landmine press where you're pressing at an angle and then changing that angle. Um, so I would take that approach of, okay, well, what angle can you press at? As well as, and of course, barring any sort of major injury, right? Um, I think that. Y- Number one, people's time frames, a lot of times for shoulder injuries with pain overhead is way too short. I think it's going to take one to two weeks and times it could take like months. And you just have to crush volume in your shoulders that's pain-free of like upper back strengthening. Like not just overhead. Like it's not like you can always just take two weeks off and then press overhead pain, pain-free. Like you might, you might have to really re or like build up more muscle around your shoulder joints. And you have to do that below 90 degrees for a lot of times because of how the tendons get um, slightly compressed when you raise your arms over 90 degrees. And sometimes that's irritating for people until it's not, you know, it's like people talk about having shoulder impingement and it's like, well, Saying that you're, you have shoulder impingement is me sta- saying that I have foot compression when I stand. It's like everyone has foot compression when you stand. And if you went and, <laughs> and you jumped around for 18 hours in one day, the next day your foot compression is going to hurt. So having p- shoulder impingement, it's like if you do a ton of volume overhead, it's like it's the same thing. It's just a, it's just a tendon in your shoulder instead of being your feet. But fundamentally, it's the same thing. Like, how do you make your feet not hurt if you jumped around for 18 hours? Like you gotta, you gotta give it a break, you know, but then, but then what happens? Then your legs get weak. So then you start walking around and it's like, Oh man, this is really hard. So if you give a ten, if you give the tendons in your shoulder a break by going overhead, there's probably some stuff that's going to get weak. And so you have to do a lot of strengthening work. Then you have to progressively reload and you can do that either with volume. You can do that with load or you can do that with angles. And I think angles are the most underutilized. I think that, um, the, the the load and the and the volume or the reps are a little bit more intuitive, but the angles I don't think are utilized enough. So those would be the, those would be the three variables that you could really consider is volume, angles, and um, and load. But you there's also the angle, not just a flexion, you know, going from ninety to one eighty, but you also have abduction or adduction. How far? in or out is your elbow point. Like if you were to go in a front rack, where's your elbow pointing? Like you don't only have to press with your elbow forward. You could find an angle that feels good and just start pressing there. Um, Mm -hmm. Like let's say you're doing a dumbbell press. You don't have to have your elbow pointing straight out to your side. You could have it pointing forward. You could have it pointing at 20 degrees. I think that one of the best ways also with, you know, this angular approach is not just the degree of flexion, but it's the degree of abduction. 
and finding pain-free options so that at least you're doing some overhead lifting in a pain-free way while you get back into it. Yeah, and I, when we're talking angles too, I think a lot of people, when we're, especially on barbell, tend to put their hands a lot narrower than is necessary. Yeah, and that's going to that's gonna pinch you up in your, mm-hmm. in your shoulder joint. Um, if you're too narrow, like they're... Um, you know, we like one of the limitations of shoulder flexion in people is like you just literally run out of space in your shoulder joint. I mean, at some point you have passive mobility limitations. So it's not an active, it's not just your lats are tight. Like you could have an acromion that literally makes you run out of space in your shoulder joint. And the more narrow you are, the like the more challenging it is to those anatomical components. And the wider you are, the less you get there because you're not as in, not in as much shoulder abduction. And so yeah, that's definitely a consideration. Like maybe you need a little bit, maybe you could do a little bit wider barbell press. Maybe you could do, you know, there's a lot of, that's another angle, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are, those are definitely things. And to like, let's say pull-ups too. Try doing chin-ups, try doing neutral grip pull-ups. Yeah. Everyone just does um, pronated pull-ups. Like there's other pull-up options yeah. too, you know, like chin-ups are just a different angle in your shoulder. It's, you know, the difference of rotation. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, why not, why not do some neutral grip pull-ups? And if you can do that with a straight bar, you just kind of go side to side, like, like you're a badass fighter doing like raw workouts, you know, like, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's just, it's not like a pretty pull-up. It's like more raw. (laughs) Yeah. But, but yeah, you you just intertwine your hands. You put one hand sort of in front of the other, and then you do your pull-ups with your head going to one side or the other of the bar. Like, we st- it's like we stick to only one pattern of shoulder of lifting overhead. Like it has to be a pull up and it has to be a barbell at a fixed width. It's like, well, why aren't we doing, you know, single arm pressing at different angles? Why aren't we doing inclined bench? Why aren't we doing more chin ups and neutral grip pull ups? Like, if you want to keep your shoulders healthy and and but still maintain quite a bit of volume overhead, you should change the angles. So when when I wrote with my um, colleague the uh, shoulder strength program that we made for Movement Fix. Mm-hmm. We use so many different angles in that program overhead because there's, there's quite a bit of volume overhead. Um, but we do different angles of pressing. We do different angles of pull-ups and chin-ups. Like, there's so much variety that you can do. I think that uh, kind of get getting back to that first point of volume, I should have mentioned this too. It's like also just doing too much volume of the exact same lifts. Adding yeah. in some variety will help to deter that because you're changing the angles, which is going to change the uh the tissues that are stressed so you're, you're like offsetting some of that to different tissues by changing angles and also just stressing the joint in a different way so you could still keep up like a relatively high amount of volume for a general pattern but you're probably actually dispersing that volume over different tissues a little bit more yeah and i think and that's kind of where your courses fall into being great options because you know, people don't know what to do as far as any other workouts other than what's programmed for them at the CrossFit gym. And so that's what they do. They don't take any days to not do those workouts and do any accessory work for that reason. Or, if you know, one, because they don't know what to do and two, because they don't feel they're going to get a decent workout from it. And I think that's where some of the issues lie as well is just not not understanding that they can do this accessory work and still get an incredible workout at the same time. 
Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, that was really the reason why we made those was, and I'm coming out with a hip one too, like a hip strength one. Oh, nice. Like I have a hip mobility, a hip and low back mobility one, and then a shoulder mobility for people who just want more range of motion. And then there's a a shoulder strength one and soon to be a shoulder, uh, a hip and low back strength one. So that people who do want to like add some stuff into their normal routine, but they don't need a full workout program, right? They're like, Hey, you know what? I want to do some extra strength stuff for my shoulders. Well, but what do I do? Do I just do more push-ups? Do I do like, like, like we made that as a resource for people so that they can learn what what to do, you know. And you can take bits and pieces from it as as it fits into your program. But yeah, that's really the whole point. Is um, there's so many exercise options? I think that when people get when people get into one world of training, they just they forget that there's a lot of other great stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And um, one methodology is not perfectly correct like bodybuilding has some great things they do they have some things i don't agree with um like you know if you just did bodybuilding you'll get really stiff like there's not a lot of and there's not a lot of full body uh lifts where you're where there's like coordination and involved i shouldn't say coordination where you have moments of relaxation and and re-engagement like power generation like that like yeah you have full body movements of course like squatting deadlifting pressing Cetera, but you don't have something like an Olympic lift or um, kettlebell swings typically, which teach you full body movements a little bit differently. Um, and people get really stiff because they don't do a lot of you know large range of motion things in the same way that you would if you were doing, um, let's say, certain type of pull-ups or uh, ring, ring dips or um, snatching, for example. But just to neglect the tools that are used to build muscle because they aren't fit into one methodology. I think you're missing out on some really great opportunities to train your body. Definitely. So that's what, um, when John Rossin and I made build in condition, which is a, like a program mind's body with Olympic lifting and metabolic conditioning. Like we made that as a, a model of how you could think about blending those things together. So all the programs and things I've ever made are just like me trying to be like, hey, guys, there's other like cool things out there too. Um, how do I make it available? I guess I'll make it into a program that you could use, but also so that other people can purchase those programs and then look at how they're made and then put their own spin on it too. You know, it's not like I have all the answers. Like no one has all the answers, but I think that the more we can put together our own ideas into things that people can use, then other people can look at that and get inspired and make it better or make their own version or put their own spin on it. I think that's really important for the evolution of, of all this stuff. You know, if we keep all our, of all, if we keep all our ideas to ourselves, nothing can evolve. If you think about, especially like the last 50 years of humanity and how much stuff has changed, it's, I mean, or the last couple hundred years, every time we have an increased way to communicate ideas, the evolution of humanity, let's, well, not the evolution of like basically all the technology and all the things that we're doing for our health, it gets exponentially better the more we communicate as a species. Like when the internet came out, suddenly it's like, wow, look how much technological evolution there's been. It's because people can share ideas across the world with other people who they never would have been able to otherwise. And then these ideas and thoughts compound. Mm hmm. I mean, look at how much tech 
technology has has changed in the last 30 years. I mean, could that have happened without the internet? Like without the ability for people to communicate instantaneously and you have people who are subject matter experts in their field across the world sharing ideas and and debating and compounding. I mean, it's incredible. And so if we don't do that, and if we can't do that in a way that's not ego-driven, that where we think that we're correct, rather than doing it in a way to push the ball forward, like we're really missing out on an opportunity to make you know, hundreds of or millions, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people's lives better by getting rid of their their pain in their shoulders, their hips, their back. I mean, someone has back pain, they can't even lift their kid off the ground, for example. Like, like that shouldn't happen from training. Like we know enough about exercise science and anatomy and physiology that that shouldn't, that shouldn't happen. Yeah. Someone constantly injuring their back. We know too much for that to happen. But, and if then, if that is happening, it's because the information isn't spreading well enough. Yeah. Because, because it, like it's, it's known, like we know why those things happen. Yeah, and we we know why it happens. Obviously, a lot of those people need to be receptive to it, and all the information can be out there. But if they're not receptive to it, then you know we can only do so much. Keep putting information in front of people and hoping they'll pay attention. Well, I guess the question is this: is it is it them being receptive, or is it us not communicating well? True. You know, because if we're True. better if we're better at communicating, then like if they're not receptive, we could either we could either say it's because of that person or because we're not communicating it very well. And I think that it takes self reflection to be like, okay, <laughs> are you not doing this because I'm not explaining it well, or I'm not like speaking to your interest well enough, or is it because you just really don't care? But I think if someone's if we're having the conversation with someone, they are receptive. That's why we're having the conversation in the first place. Yeah. But if they're not taking that information and applying it, it's because they didn't get it. And they didn't get it, not because they're dumb. They didn't get it because we didn't communicate in a way that was effective for them. And so that's our problem. We didn't communicate it well enough. So like, for example, I could make all the blog posts in the world about how to do X, Y, or Z. But then it's like, if I don't actually write a program, no, like, maybe I didn't communicate it well enough. But if I write it in a program, maybe that's a better way to be like, no, here is how like, it would actually look in a thing that you would do. You know, I'm trying to constantly communicate better. How do I do that? Do mm-hmm. I do that by making better videos, by writing out step by step? Like, do you do that by having a deeper conversation with someone? Like, that's the trick is how do you actually get them to understand what you're saying? Because we have these ideas and thoughts in our head and we know, but then when people don't, we like suggest something and they don't, they don't do it the way that we're like, no, no, do you not like, do you not get it? Are you not listening? It's because we didn't communicate at their level for them to really mm-hmm. understand. And that's, an, that's hard. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons yeah. that I do all the different platforms I do. And I'm going to be putting together a couple, um, like, online platforms as well because mm-hmm. people do receive information differently. And so, you know, you need to get it out there in all different methods for all those people to learn it how they learn best. Yeah, exactly. And I think that someone like you, for example – how many years have you been studying this stuff and putting it into practice yourself? A lot. <laughs> When's, now, here's, another, here's the follow-up question. When's the last time you purposefully learned something that you have no experience in? 
Ooh, that's a good question. Activity-wise, that's tough. It's probably been a while. And for most people, awesome. it has, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I took a drawing class in November. I've never, like, I took one art class in junior high, and I was terrible, right? <laughs> but I took a drawing class, and it made me realize, like, if, if, if that person that taught the drawing class, it was an online course. If that person taught the course the way that I teach about movement, I would have been lost, it made me realize that I'd been teaching things way too com com uh, complexly. Complexly, is that a word? <laughs> Complicatedly. I've been, I was teaching things way too advanced for certain audiences. Because when I took that drawing course, they had to teach me how to hold the pencil. It, it, that makes... Like when I teach someone to deadlift, I just assume they know where to put their feet and their hands sometimes. It's like someone who's new, they don't, even, they don't even know that. Yeah. And I think we take that for granted. They don't know how to hold their breath. They don't know how to create muscle tension on purpose. They don't know like how to, where, what their spine is. They don't even know necessarily what's under their skin. I mean, think about that. You, you know exactly what you're doing when you, when you lift. You know the joints of your hand. You know the elbow. You know what it all looks like. Imagine if you didn't know what any of that even looked like. Imagine if you didn't even really know. Like, go to a museum and look at a dinosaur skeleton, right? And you look at it and you're like, okay, I kind of generally know what the bones are, but I don't really know that much. Like, what is their knee like? What's their ankle like? If you haven't studied human anatomy, it's like looking at a, at a skeleton of a different animal that you've never studied and be like, wow, that looks really complicated, but I don't really know anything about it. I mean, that's what it's like. We are so disconnected from that that it is absurd how much we forget. Forget what it's like to not know it. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage all the time, like clinicians and trainers, like take a physical skill, not just like parkour. Like you're too advanced in your knowledge already of training for parkour to be basic enough for you. Do something like paint where you don't even know how to mix the freaking colors. Then you'll know what it's like for the person who comes to your gym and they haven't worked out in 10 years. They don't even know what the bones in their foot are. Mm -hmm. Like, Just think about that for a moment. And then it's like, well, no wonder people don't get what we're saying. We're like, no, your diaphragm needs to lower. You have to create intra-abdominal pressure. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? They don't even know. They don't know. Like, do you know the, the, what the organs inside of a horse look like? like? I have no freaking idea. Like we just assume people are going to have an appreciation for what the diaphragm is. Like we get so far down our own hole that we forget. So that would be like two artists talking about these like advanced curves that they draw. I don't even know what they would talk about. And then me taking a class from them and I'm like, yeah, I don't really get it. And they're like, no, how do you not understand how to draw this? I'm like, cause I don't even know how to hold the freaking pencil. <laughs> You know, so is it really yeah. they don't get it or is it us not communicating? You see what I mean? Yeah, that's a great point. And it's hard to put yourself there. You have to really try to change your mind and be in a position of someone who doesn't know these, uh, these things. It's hard to do. It's hard to remember. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. You know, I got in the conversation, you know, just kind of going on the same topic as far as just getting that understanding of people not knowing the different things. 
I got a conversation actually it was just this weekend with someone um, dealing with some shoulder stuff going on. He's like, I've been working on it. And, and so then I got in the conversation, you know, it's like, well, it could be um, more of like a stability issue. And he's like, well, my shoulders are, they're strong. He's like, I can, you know, do this, that, and the other. And I was like, well, and so I kind of got in that discussion of we have the stabilizer, you know, the different muscle groups that do different functions and, and, um, and, you know, explained it that way. And just thinking about people and not, you know, us not explaining things well at times and just think people not knowing is there is this, there's a difference and we know the difference between strength and stability and why we need both. But it, you know, people just assume they, their muscles work on the, you know, their mover muscles work and so they're strong and so they're fine. Not understanding there's these underlying muscles that have to be worked as well, which is where we get with that accessory work. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you know, there's so much more work to be done to get strong and healthy shoulders than just doing push-ups and pull and pull-ups and like and snatching. Like, no one posts the boring stuff on Instagram, so I think that that even makes it worse. It's like how much like these Olympic lifters are doing other things than just Olympic lifting, but people don't see it. So then they, you know, they're not being coached by you know, they're not, they're not doing just Olympic lifting. Like I think that there, it's just information. It's just education is so important. Um, and yeah, people taking responsibility for themselves. And, and I think people want to take responsibility. I don't think people are, I think most people want to take responsibility for themselves, but it's just like, how do we, where do I go to learn that? Where do I go to learn? But then if they go to a gym and the, the program and they're not even, they're not even calculating the volume of their workouts. Like we're really in a mess now. Yeah. Like, so yeah, when, when I programmed the, um, my shoulder programs, like I calculated the reps per day per week and then, you know, make sure that the volume increases at a certain rate per week. Um, like that stuff's important. If you want a program to progressively build, you have to calculate. Like otherwise it's, you're just blindfolded and all you have to do is literally just add the numbers up, you know, like <laughs> just add the numbers and then look for discrepancies because yeah. I would, I would have days where it's like, Oh, that increased 20%. Like, I don't think that's a good idea. Let me, okay. And then let me look closer at it. Okay. It's because this rep scheme needs to be changed a little bit. Okay. Now it's a 10% per week aggregate change. Like it's really not that complicated. I just, you know, maybe people just don't like math. I don't know, but, um, <laughs> that's probably good but imagine if you did like a running program, you know, it's like, like we talk about people talk about running and bike stuff. Like it's so obvious, right? Like, well, yeah, if you're going to run, you're not just going to go run 20 miles. You're going to start with a mile and then add a little bit, you know, don't increase the volume too much. You can hurt your foot or whatever. But then when it comes to like mixed modality workouts, it's like no one cares. And I'm not, and I don't say like no one actually cares. I just mean like it just doesn't seem as obvious to count. No, I think you're, I mean, you're right on there because, yeah, you always have those conversations with the runners as far as how to progress properly. And these, you know, your 16 week training programs for your marathons or your ultras and everything. But then when it comes to, but then we do back to back things where we do, where we do kipping pulps and snatches and no one's like thinking that that it matters then. Like, why would it not matter then? Yeah. Like, you would never tell a runner, like, I don't know, just just do big 
runs back to back. I don't know. Don't <laughs> it doesn't matter. But, but if we're going to do a ton of volume overhead, it's like, we don't keep track of that. Yeah. Why? Why? I don't get it. So, uh, what's your, I think it's harder. Okay. I think it's harder because running, it's literally like, okay, you're just doing one thing. Yeah. But you start adding in, okay, how, how do I count push-ups versus pull-ups versus pressing versus snatching? And like, I think it's just a little bit more complicated and that's why we just don't do it. And I I'm think, not saying no one does it. People do it. I just don't yeah. think, I think everyone should do it. Like if you're programming, I think you should be counting how many time, how many reps per week are you squatting? How many reps per week are you going over your head? Like if you just count and how many reps per week are you doing like some sort of hip hinge? Like just get a basic idea. You don't have to like, it's not like you're, you have to get within, you know, it's not like some six Sigma thing where you have to be within like how many, <laughs> like standard, like seven standard deviations. Is it six, six standard deviations of the mean or whatever? Like just get a general idea so you can at least see because you might do that and be like, wow, we're fluctuating 50% week to week. Like maybe we should just try to dial that in a little bit. Like you don't have to be so exact, but it, just get a general idea. Like, Hey, maybe on week one of this month, you did 300 overhead reps and then week two, you did a hundred and then week four or three, you did 700. It's like, well, maybe you should at least like have a general idea. Yeah. And then try to just like kind of build that up. Uh, especially in an on-ramp program. Like an on-ramp program, it's much easier, in my opinion, for an on-ramp program because you know, you know everyone's going to go through it in a specific way. And then so you can try to progressively build people up to a certain capacity, start them at a certain amount and then increase certain things. But then when you go into like more general programming, of course, like it's a little bit different. But because you know, like, what are you going to do, build up into eternity or work eight hours long? Like <laughs> at some point, it just becomes more about like making sure there aren't these huge fluctuations but also making sure that people who come into your gym who are new, they get a progressively built or they have a progressively building program. Mm -hmm. Do you think some of the issues with programming falls into programmers not really understanding how like just the body works and that the overlap of like this, you know, these three movements, you're using the same muscles, even though they can appear completely different. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure it's different for everybody, but I would imagine that, um, I don't know. I think it's so different that I can't make a generalization because I think there's a lot of people out there who do get it and who do calculate it. And I think there's other people, people just come from such different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that just not like this idea that the human body is just indestructible no matter what. I think that that's like this almost underlying thought of like, no, you just got to push and it'll, like, it'll be fine. It's like, well, you know, if someone hasn't been training in a long time, that's, they need progressive building up. But I think everyone's getting better, and I think that's because of you know people are having conversations like this. People are putting out information, um, and that's so important. You know, everything is going to evolve. Like if we think that everything is done and nothing's going to evolve, we're crazy. Like, of course, things are going to evolve. Like it's getting better. It's getting way better. 
Yeah, I, I'm at least talking to more people who are, and I think the crossover system has really helped with a lot of it because a lot of places are getting the crossover system. So people are starting to understand that they need to work these other areas for the shoulders. So but I feel like it's coming along, but there's definitely a long way to go. Yeah, and I think that, you know, this that's this the same thing is true in nutrition too. I mean, there's still a oh, long yeah. way to go. Like, you know, a lot of people just still think that like low fat food is good and egg yolks are bad. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't long ago when literally you would not be a respected nutritionist if you said that egg yolks weren't bad for you. Like there's generations of people who that's ingrained in their brain. Oh yeah. I talk to them every day. It's nuts. Yeah. Like that people were, they were, they were literally, taught to, th to think incorrectly about nutrition and that's really hard to undo it's not like an intuitive understanding like there's so much education that has to be made and think about how like doubtful they are of any future information they're probably like yeah okay well now you're telling me this then what are you going to tell me mm -hmm. like cynicism yeah definitely so how do let's go new crossfitter coming to the gym just kind of understanding, just trying to get in or starting to learn movements or we're coming off injury. What's the best way or is there a best way, I guess I should say it, to kind of make the shoulders more resilient? Like if they have 30 minutes, maybe twice a week extra to be able to work on something, what do you, is there anything specific you would suggest for them to do? Yeah, I would just do a very standard push day and once a week and a very standard pull day once a week if someone was new. And for the push day, I would do some sort of um, horizontal pushing exercise, probably not something they're already going to be doing. So like push-ups, for example. So I would have them do probably like some sort of straight bar or dumbbell bench press and then a single arm or double arm, like a single arm dumbbell press. And then I would have them do some additional tricep work and probably some additional deltoid work. On the pull day, I would do um, like maybe a chin-up because I know they're probably not going to be doing chin-ups. So either a chin-up or a banded chin-up. And then I would have them do some dumbbell rows, some reverse flies, and then end it with some um, either face pulls or band pull-aparts, something like that. Working in any eccentrics in there or... Yeah, I would have a tempo on the lifts. For, like, they would just be instructed to do... Tempo. Like, just don't go really fast on the eccentric. Like, like control the negative. That's just mm -hmm. what I would instruct. Like, okay. Just control the negative. You don't have to do it super slow, but just control the negative. Like, if, the, if that's all someone did was just two standard days like that per week, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, it's really not that complicated to do that. And it, you'd get so much benefit. Oh, that's what the shoulder definitely. strength program is. We have a push day and a pull day and an accessory day. Each day is like 30 minutes. Nice. And then your mobility one is it's a little shorter, isn't it? Yeah, it's like 10 to 15 minutes. It's more just stretching, foam rolling, and range of motion work. Like each day can, includes four components. Some sort of soft tissue work, so like some sort of foam rolling, then some passive stretching, then loaded movement, slash stretching, and then uh, an actual like lift. So like, let's say you're doing overhead lifting, you, do, you roll out your lats, you do a passive lat stretch, then you would do some like active 
overhead motion and then you do like a press for example okay so it's focusing more on the range of motion and the strength one is like those are like actually legit workouts awesome and they're both four-week programs 12 they're 12 week awesome Mm -hmm. cool cool. or or they're three four-week programs put together (laughs) i mean or that well because they all have three phases of four weeks i mean depending on how you want to cycle it yeah got it (laughs) so (laughs) Like the, the shoulder strength one, it has like 92 exercises in it, which I don't even know how I ended up doing that. I thought there were 30 and then I went to make the videos and there was 90, 92 or something. I didn't even know I knew that many. That's pretty impressive. Well, part of it's an education thing. Okay. Because, if you, because like if you're a coach or a trainer or clinician, like, I mean, you're definitely going to learn some stuff by doing a program that has 90 different shoulder exercises in it. Like it's great tools to add to your own toolbox because there's no way everyone does all the same exercises all the time. And you know, all those things have tutorial videos as well. So it's, it's a huge education thing. So like I said at the beginning, like it's about spreading information in in the best way possible. Like, you know, I could make it all the same exercise, but if I can add in more so then people can be like, oh yeah, I've never tried this. Oh yeah, I like this. I like how this feels. And then clinicians will do it and they'll be like, I think this would be great for certain people who have this kind of thing. Uh, there's just, so there's so much we can all learn from each other. It's really incredible. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So if someone wants to get one of these courses, where can they find you, either you or your courses at? Well, all the programs are at themovementfix.com forward slash programs. But generally, just looking for Movement Fix on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, um, there's tons of resources in all those areas. There's also free resources on themovementfix.com forward slash resources. There's um, there's uh, different downloads like a 30-day movement challenge. So there's 30 days of mobility work. <clears throat> and that comes for free with a 32-page PDF and 30 custom videos so people can see how to warm up and prep for different types of exercises. And then there's a low back email course covering the basics of low back and hip mobility. And then there's a shoulder basics course where um, it explains the biggest things to work on to improve your shoulder range of motion. And then some things that you can add in for basic um, accessory strengthening. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of free stuff. There's obviously the programs aren't free. Um, but yeah, just finding move it fix on any of those outlets is the place to look. Awesome. Thank you so much for that great information. And thank you so much, Ryan, for joining me today. And thanks for, or for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for doing these things and trying to get more information to people. For sure. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. Show notes can be found at highlyfunctional.org. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you would go on to iTunes and give me a five-star rating and review as well as share this on social media with all your friends and followers. Until next time, go out and be highly functional.